a B2B to C provider. So we're doing business with insurance companies, with the larger firms, the broker dealers, the wealth management firms. But that enterprise is a long sales process. Our longest took us two years to get to do a proof of concept. Our shortest was because we went through an accelerator with the company, and that was eight and a half months. If you're not prepared, if you don't have the financial capability to stay that long, then I don't recommend doing it. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. Hey, leaders. Welcome back. This is Ledge. I am really excited. We just had a bunch of fun off cam. So Robert Kirk here as my guest. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. So Robert, I would love if you would give an introduction of yourself and your work before we start talking about things that aren't working, just having a good time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me here, David. This is absolute tremendous. I know we had a little fun. I think we're going to continue that. So I'm Rob Kirk. I'm the founder, the CEO of Intergen Data. We are a life event prediction and insights company. We harness the power of AI to analyze de-identified customer data, and we do that to predict the most pivotal moments in a client's life or your employee's life. And we do this before it actually happens. So imagine if you're going through and understanding when events like buying a home or getting divorced or facing a critical illness or having children, right? When these events happen. And imagine if you're that company or that employer and you could understand what's likely to happen, when it might occur, and then how much it would mean for them and, and impact their finances. And this is what we do. We allow companies to understand what their client's going through or their employee, and it gives them the ability to kind of really hyper-tailor solutions. And when I say hyper-tailor, I really mean data-driven. It's a way to understand the real-life situations of your customers and build trust and grow deeper relationships. That's who we are, and that's what we do. That sounds magical. And then the first thing I know you have in the marketing is, hey, it's not PII. We actually don't know things about, we don't store your data. It's anonymized and all those things. And I guess that that caveat, I imagine, comes up a lot where you go, you need to remove the creepy factor. You need to keep the amazing, magical prediction factor. So like, how in God's name does that work? <laughs> so, so I would say we pick up the magic right, eight ball and right. shake it, but I'd be joking, right? No. So it's really about, it's math, it's data science. And we've been doing machine learning since 2014. So what we're doing is we're just taking the number of people. Let's do something simple like births. So people have births and you go to a hospital and you give birth. At that point, you realize one thing you're going to fill out a lot of paperwork. When you go in, you're going to fill out paperwork for the hospital and they're going to tell you and ask you, okay, who's the father? Who's the mother? What's the race? What's the gender? All of this data, what insurance do you have? What is your job? Where do you live? So all of that data is public. Now it's hard to get to, but once you get to it, you can start to realize, okay, let me look at everything. So you get a big giant bell curve of all of the people that have given birth. That's male and female. Now, what happens is you say, okay, this is great. Let's take out all the males. Let's look at only the females. So you get a smaller bell curve. Then you say, my wife is Asian, another smaller bell curve. She's Korean, another smaller bell curve. So what we're doing is we're looking to find the smallest cohort of data. And then we look back, 
one, two, three, five, 20, 50, whatever years back to say, okay, when did they have their children? Now that gives you the age of a first, second, third child. But we also know that there's two people in a relationship. So the spouse plays a role. So we look at, okay, when did the men typically have or give, have their children? So at that point, you're able to overlay men and women together and see, because men want to have women or excuse me, men want to have, that's very true. Men want to have children different times of their lives than women. So at this point, you start to see the relationship, who influences whom, but there's also the socioeconomic. So does their education play a role? Does their income play a role? Does where they live play a role? Does what they do play a role? And the answer is yes. All of that plays a role. So we correlate all of that data together to say, hey, I'm Native American Indian. My wife is Korean. We have, and they're likely to have children at X, Y, and Z. And we actually did. So we were pretty normal at that point, pretty average. So at a high level, that's a, a description of kind of what we do. We just do it for 94 other things in right. addition to right. those are called having dimensions. Is, is that right? And you can overlay <laughs> dimensions and come yeah. up with basically, if you just have enough data, it's pretty predictive and a particular major events. And it's fascinating. And of course, I see that the company can have major impacts in healthcare, financial services, insurance must just absolutely love you. It's not based on actuarial tables and predictions across just like two dimensions, but you can basically say all kinds of things that happen there. And it's interesting to think about there must just be an outrageous amount of data in your system to even think about that. like how many petabytes of information does it take to even think about this and i guess technology in a sense is catching up now like the or at least the zeitgeist is, is catching up because nobody was talking about ai in 2014 i guess it was big data and then it was machine learning and then it's all of a sudden no ai is is a thing, let's call it that. But I mean, you're way back and restoring petabytes of data was probably uh, rather expensive. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was. And as an example, when somebody says, how much data do you have? Oh, well, <laughs> so that's actually one of the answers. They, when we say we have the census data and they say, what do you have? All of it going back to yeah. 1700, we can, all of it. So that's a really... That's a really important part is the more data you have, machine learning, any type of artificial intelligence system is really hungry for data. And yeah, we have to store it. It's great when you tell people to think, it's hard to imagine what a petabyte is. It's hard to imagine these numbers. And one of the things I'll say is when people ask, it's easy to think in Excel. So we tell people, okay, look, there's 42,000 zip codes, and then there's the zip four. So my address is 75098-8104. If you add those four on there, there's 45 million. So think 45 million rows, and then think 45,000 columns of additional data. And that's what we have. That's what we use to give you answers. So not all of it, by the way, because you can't. Yeah, I guess. It's certainly gotten much more powerful over time. I'm imagining now you see these beautiful videos of 
150 rows of NVIDIA processors just happily crunching data and burning godly amounts of fuel, but <laughs> or whatever it is. But this is, you have amazing engineering challenges that, that along with like, you can ultimately solve a business challenge having gotten over massive sort of engineering challenges. What was that process like? as a business, because it's easy for everybody to go, oh, I use AI now, but you're talking about like building the thing starting back in, in 2014 yeah. is, it's gotta be a hell of a story. So. Yeah, it, it's been fun. When we first started, we were downloading PDFs and we were using tools to extract data from PDFs and put them into Excel that we could then put into a database that we could then throw in. Today's technology is, there are tools that automatically take data out and they know the ontology, the definition of each word, the sequence, the semantic ontology of the verbs, the adverbs, the nouns, the predicates, everything. So it understands the context. And that was unheard of back then. Now I say that, but also because we're thinking like natural language processing, what people do in chat GPT today, but natural language processing was done in the early 60s. People don't realize that. This is not new. This is math. And the beautiful thing is, though, now the cost, the compute power, right? You talked about NVIDIA. Before Cray computers would take up a few thousand square feet of a room, now you have, I have more processing power on my iPhone than, or on my watch than most of the tools going back 10, 20 years ago. And it's absolutely amazing. That's what's led to the basically the exponential growth of what we do today. And it's also made things cheaper. And that's why this can be done today. So we're really excited about it. But man, it was not fun back in 2014. I was reading tons and tons of PDFs just to realize, oh, I got to throw that one away and <laughs> start over again, right? Exactly. So you started at a time where, and I think so much of this business boom that's resulted from that exponential sort of scale and, and drop in cost basically of delivery starting back then was it aspirational you couldn't do as much output looking back is the competitive advantage just the fact of having been right on timing because so much of of the world and success is, is just based on doing things at the beginning and succeeding earlier is that the essence of it yeah so some might call it luck serendipity yeah. To me, in my personal belief, and this is someone who's hard into data science, it's to me, it's a God thing. Yeah. It was inspirational. And to me, what was amazing was, and I'll give you the, the basics of the story of the impetus even of the company. So from 2009, we had moved my grandfather from Texas to New York. He was going to live out his days with my mom, which is his daughter. And he ended up getting Alzheimer's and we had to put him into a long-term care facility. What we didn't realize at the times was that it was $14,400 a month and that he was going to stay there for four years. So if you total that up, that's almost $700,000. So we were not prepared emotionally. We weren't prepared physically. We weren't prepared financially or legally. There are certain trusts you need to set up ahead of time. There are certain things you need to do legally to make sure you're prepared. We weren't. And I saw us make a bunch of mistakes. And at the time, I was chief information officer of about a top 40 broker dealer, first global, by the way. And 
I sat there and I said, who's worse than me? I'm developing tech. I'm deploying tech. We're teaching CPAs how to become advisors and do wealth management. We're doing the wealth management for them, retirement and estate planning and estate lawyers. And I couldn't help them. And I just, it was the Simon Sinek. Why didn't I think of this? Why didn't anyone tell me to think of this? Why didn't, and all the smart people I knew, it was first, it was, what good are you? (laughs) Then it was, wait. I'm giving them the technology. What good am I? And the bottom line question was that all of the tools and technology are what we consider point in time. So they're only as good as, well, David, if you're my advisor, if you ever pick up the phone and say, hey, can you tell me when you plan to get cancer so I can put it into your financial plan? No, you don't want to have the conversation. I don't want to have the conversation. I always think that we are, we're invincible until we're not. And that's the downside is people don't plan for bad things to happen. So I looked at all of the tools and I realized none of them were using data. There was a big gap. No one said, wait a minute, at the age of 90, you should have started thinking about these things. And in fact, you should have told me at 85, you should have told me at 80. So I started asking, can I find enough data to tell me when something typically happens? And then do I have enough data to say it's probable? And if it's probable, can I make it statistical? If I can make it statistical, I can throw more science and then guess what? We're now predictive. So that's what we did. That was the path, but it was from a life event. It was from me not being able to help my grandfather or my parents. And I don't want people to go through that. I want people to understand, yes, you can think of these things but you don't want to run through, you said something earlier about the creepiness, right? You don't want to tell somebody, hey, I ran you through our system. We think you're going to die in 7.26 years. You're going to die of cancer and here's how much it's going to cost you. No. How about just telling people, hey, people like you tend to go through these things. Does that concern you? Let's talk about it. Let's see. Do it in a gentler way because computers are not empathetic. People are. And that's the power of advice. That's the power of people. You just give me like a Black Mirror episode where Facebook would tell me that, hey, listen, you should post some more memories because things aren't going to go well the next year. I think that insight of the sort of human connection of data, that's so pertinent right now as people are grappling with this idea of the robots are going to steal my job. And no, maybe we need to think about your job can be escalated to the point that only a human can do. And we can take all this sort of garbage off of you and we can actually make you remarkably better at what you do. And and, and there will be, there are clear statistics that, for example, I just read yesterday, freelance writers have taken an absolute beating this year because they were just churning out content, right? So how do we, you know, I think we maybe bear some burden to upskill the labor force for this new adventure. But I personally have, having been now professional through the you know, dot-com boom and the mobile device boom and all these things, I've never seen something this fast into the workforce as generative AI and availability of it such that it wasn't just locked in a vault for scientists. I know you guys all think that this is you're just like, duh, you guys should have caught up a long time ago, but general availability is really yeah. impactful. I'm working on a 
course content that of course had taken me forever should have been done eight months ago and i'm just like i'm gonna need to revise all of this because i didn't even say the word ai <laughs> it's just it's shocking the pace how has the last year landed for you as a professional who's steeped in this a, a scientist and data and math and the zeitgeist catching up what's that been like i've been asking a lot of professionals who have similar sort of yeah we were doing this 14 years ago or whatever so it's a mixed bag of emotions. It is at the end of every night, it is such a blessing to be in the right place at the right time. Four years ago, three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, it was not the right place at right. the right time. It was lone man on beach on island with no one near and no one cared. And if we think about what we go through, the ebbs and flows, right? The flotsam and jetsam and all the things that come in. Think about it this way. In the, it's ultimately how we as people are. If you go back, oh, well, when I was in high school, the TI calculator was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I still have mine and it's amazing. And people are like, oh, and those of us who are nerdy enough to program our math test into the thing ahead of time, you know, I might know about that. I heard about that. You, heard, you, you read it somewhere, right? <laughs> so absolutely. And that was going to destroy the world. And cassette tapes were going to destroy the world. And the iPod was going to destroy the world. And the fax machine and the computers and then the internet and that everything was going to destroy the world. So if everything destroys the world, the good part is we're already there. <laughs> so let's come to the basis that some of these jobs are going to change. Absolutely. They're going to move to point A to point B, but I'm actually happy. I don't have to go calculate cosine and sine to do stuff that the computer right. does it for me. And my role has changed. Think of an advisor used to have to go, an advisor used to have to go and collect paper, paperwork from people and collect oh, I need a copy of your financial statement. I need a copy of your bank. I need a copy of this. And I need a Now you don't need to do that. It's all data-driven. So now it can be, oh, connect here. Here's an API, connects, boom, pulls in the data. And they don't have to go through and start to put in their own asset allocation models and then run the math through it and manually calculate it. It's all done. So we've been moving there. I think the place where people get concerned is because they're not sure how it's going to affect them. But they're also looking at, oh, I might have to change. I might have to do something differently. Well, we change every day. Right. We learn every day. And moving to the next spot, what I do, as an example, predicting life events, you and I can get together and we can do this for my family. You and I can sit down individually and start to think about all the things that could happen and when, and we can probably plot out a pretty decent life path of all the events happening. But we can't do that over a million customers. We can't do that over a million people. So we formulaically put it into analytics, embed capabilities. It then becomes a decision. There's an outcome. Then there's learning. Was that a good decision? Was it a bad decision? Did we do it? What do we change? And you and I can do this for a single person. The thing is the computer is going to help us get to the point where we can do it over everything. And I think that's going to be really interesting when we move to that part of the world but again, I'm going to go back to there's zero empathy. Computer doesn't care. It's either zero or one. And that's where people ultimately are the best. So take the advantage to say, I'll pay you the same. Think of it this way. I'll pay you the same amount of money to do what you do today, but 99% of what you do, you don't have right. to do anymore. 
I'm all in. <laughs> right. And I, and I get to spend that the rest of that time on more advanced things. I'm bullish. I feel like a, a better analyst in the sense that I didn't have time to be an analyst before. And now I have two windows open at all times that I can feed a hundred page PDFs to. And I go synthesize these things for me so I can be smarter in five minutes. And I just think that's super cool. It's like awesome. And I didn't have the money in my business to hire three analysts. That's net new productivity and value in at least my context. Now, I also have empathy for like friends who are literally like texting me, hey, dude, do you have any jobs? Robots just took my writing. And, and I think talk about empathy, right? Like we, we all hopefully can, you know, find places to, to put our smart friends, <laughs> you know, have been impacted. I like that statement because you're right. It did hit that first. And I'll make some bold statements and you can yell at me later for. So like advisors, let me flip that differently. I'll say advisors. Most of the advisors are salespeople. They're not financial advisors. They're not really trying to build the ultimate relationship with you and your family and generational and understand all the intricacies of what they need to do for estate planning to put everything together so that when you accumulate and spend and protect and decumulate, deaccumulate your money, you're protected. They don't want to go through all of that. We as humans typically don't operate at 100%. We operate at 52%. We want to do a little bit more than the average, but we can't get there. I say that because if I look and I plotted my entire life out and I've run myself in my system and I'm pretty average. In a few different places, I'm a tiny bit better, but not I'm not that 1%. And I say that- I have achieved peak normal. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be middle right, management, right, right. the TV commercial. So the way I look at it is how can I reskill what I do? So those same people who are asking, hey, do you have a job? I got to tell you, I've started to spend money on influencers, Instagram people, TikTok people, where they're giving me ideas of how to write my own copy, of how to take ChatGPT or Bard, connect that to, oh, mid-journey, use Dolly, use this and pull this process together, create these images now. And it's phenomenal. And then, oh, by the way, use Jasper and use yeah. this to create a persona based on who you are and feed it data. That's massive. It's taken everything that I have in my brain and started to suck it out so that it can actually help me the way I yeah. want to help me. Now, if that person writing copy could help me go through that, or that person could say, not only will I write the copy, I'm going to upskill and then learn how to take that and, and use to create a video, text to video, text to images, put that together for you. Let's create you a marketing campaign for you. Let's put it into munch.ai and take a 20 minute video and drop it into 10, two minute videos and then use repurpose to send it out to 30 different places automatically and reply or instantly to come back and answer people. Oh my God, you're building a massive business. You're worth your weight more than right. your copy. You're 50 right. times more. And that's what I think the beauty is. You have to flip the coin over and say, yes, is it potentially destruction? But sure, so was, so was the car and the horse, right? So was the typewriter, the keyboard, the plastic keyboard, NCR, who they're gone. So that's what I think we exist in. But that's the opportunity. And this capability that you feel, of course, it, like, it sounds like the type of thing that, oh, I don't know, a major retailer would really salivate to know about when people are about to have a baby. In fact, that's a major case study that 
I forget which school. You always read about Harvard. Target, yeah, Target. yeah, yeah. And did you make the conscious choice that you were going to, at least at, at this point, you don't seem to address those use cases and places So you're, you're in financial, you're in insurance, you're in healthcare. Are you avoiding that because of the, I don't know, maybe people don't feel good about that. No, I'm not. I'm avoiding it for the, the simple reason that I don't have the money to go expand into all of those areas at one time. Let's just take insurance, right? We all buy insurance at some point in time. Here's the two running jokes. First running joke would be you ask 10 insurers how much insurance that I need. You get back 15 answers. And then the next joke is, okay, when's the last time you spoke to your insurance agent? And you don't. It's when you buy something, you break something or you leave. And even then you don't talk to the guy, you just leave. And I, I say that lovingly because we just left an insurance company. I won't name the names that we've been a, a customer of for 21 years because they basically almost tripled my price and I haven't done anything. We haven't gotten more tickets or anything else. And I was just like, I can't do this. If you look at insurance, there's product management, there's finance and accounting, there's back office, there's marketing, there's claims, investment management underwriting, risk management, policy acquisition, servicing, sales and distribution. Almost all of that involves one thing, just like a bank and a mortgage and a checking account and an investment account and credit card account. It still involves an individual and it still involves the most important person is you. The most important thing to you is what's going to happen or right. what has happened. So all of these products and services need to switch from being product-centric, all these companies rather, and need to think about the individual, get rid of the noise and focus on this. Now, the problem is my data can fit into all of those departments, as you rightfully said, and it can fit into banks and credit cards and mortgage, and it can fit into home healthcare and hospitalization and gentrification of areas, and it can fit into pandemic looking at pandemics. We can go so many different places. It It's not avoiding because I don't want to. It's avoiding because A, that's a huge capital commitment. Believe me, if anyone's got a billion dollar check to write, let's go have fun. The other side to that is we need to find the right people to run it. That's not me. I need to get someone who's run a billion dollar program to, to take a city and, and redo everything, to take hospitals and understand how to deploy hospitals. I need those people in those areas. And I think when we get to that point where we have that capability and, and, the, and the firepower behind us, we'll get yeah. there. But for now, we just have to make sure we do well and, and, and keep alive and keep growing. You read a lot of futurist sci-fi type of stuff and imagine, hey, I could really do that thing where like the, uh, the ad in the subway tracks my eyes and then knows stuff about what to sell me. Is that inspiring or is it, well, that's crazy? It's not crazy. So think of all the sci-fi movies that 20 years later we're doing today, right? I'm going to go back to, and I can't remember the Star Trek. I think it was Star Trek two where the Captain Kirk and Spock and Scotty and everybody had to go back in time to find a whale because this gigantic monolithic thing was coming in and destroying worlds because it would cast down this, you know, this sound. Sorry, I don't do a great whale, but then... If no reply came back, no response came back, it destroyed the world. 
And when they went back in time, Scotty, who's engineering, sat down and said, I'm going to, I need you to create, I need basically see-through metal, see-through steel. And he goes, I need you to get into this computer. And the guy said, here's our computer. And Scotty goes, computer? And he goes, no, you need to use the mouse. <laughs> and so Scotty took the mouse and went, computer? <laughs> Because it had no idea that they were at the point where natural language processing was already done. So that's maybe 20, 30, I can't tell you how long ago, you can correct me, but maybe 20, 30 years ago, well, we're doing that today. That's ChatGPT. That's now it's on your phone. You, hey, I don't want to say the names of the listening devices, but you say the name and they answer. You can talk to ChatGPT now and it talks to you and your voice of choice and advises you. I mean, I, it's shocking. I like just the development of it. I have to admit I'm a star Wars guy, so I have no idea what you're talking about, but like, I, yes, I get the metaphor. Well, the computer's not gotten to the point where they could do the little death grip of the throat. Yet. <laughs> yes. You talked to your mouse back in those times for. And one other note on that, which is funny, just combine different things, combine the natural language processing with the printer, the 3D printers now that you can have at home for six, 700 bucks. They were printing food back then. I want a hamburger, prints it for you. There it is. We're there. We're almost there. That's right. Crazy. And you could pair that data with marketing OBC drugs and you're, you're good to go. <laughs> Put the drugs in your food and then you become more, you've gone from being reactive and prescriptive based to being more about our prescription based rather to mean proactive and predictive. Why not? <laughs> Lots of possibility. You seem to be, let's see, a futurist on the positive scale, that there's a lot of things are going to turn out better and all right. And you're not scared of these new technologies. Then does that take a blowback ever from people who are just like, AGI is going to kill us? The answer to your statement was, I'm a glass half full always person, even if it's this much in the glass. The reason why is because I can get up every day and breathe and have something new and exciting that I can at least help or work with somebody and learn every day. The, there, is, there is stark issues that we need to overcome with how AI and how the data is being used, but that's with everything. That's with driving cars. That's with people who drink too much, people who smoke, people, there's always those issues. The difference here is the exponential potential for this to learn very quickly. So if you look at when Kasparov got beat in chess, gigantic machine comes through, that gigantic machine beats Go, the the Go player, I forgot his name, something Lee, if I, I can't recall. And it was on a laptop, <laughs> literally a PC type computer. So it went from a giant machine and a big facility, big infrastructure down to nothing. And that beat Lee Sedol. That's who it was. I apologize. So it beat Lee Sedol. And Lee Sedol still won one game. And that AI was considered amazing. But then they created the next version of it. And it beat the previous version 100 to zero. It smashed it. So what we don't understand is the exponential nature because a computer can replicate itself and play a computer. 
So in essence, the computer can make one million of itself play another million of itself and basically get 10,000 years of learning in four weeks. Right. That's general adversarial training. Is that? Yeah. So at that point, you don't, and, and yeah, I apologize. I'm trying not to throw on all the names, but yes. So what happens is that exponential learning gets there. Now, I'll go one step further and say, my wife and I have two daughters, right? One who's freshman in college, the other one who's sophomore. At worst, let's consider this the worst potential thing. We are the most evil people on earth. We want death, destruction, and chaos for everyone. The maximum that we could probably affect would be definitely our two kids, and then they could affect maybe mm. one or two others. So it's small in nature. If you have nefariousness, meaning you have intentional harm and bias put into a system to manipulate or cause things to happen, and they're using it in a way, and then you open up that so that everyone else can actually use that information, then it grows way faster than anyone can think, and the intention becomes much greater. So at maximum, me as an individual can affect two people, but a computer can affect, you know, Literally, anyway, we've seen that manifest through you know social media, human scale, and then you know you can imagine that orders of magnitude greater. You have logarithmic growth essentially in in technology. So I mean, we do have sense of control and, and people understanding the magnitude of the damage you could cause if unleashed bad things. But we've been able as humans to unleash bad things at uh, logarithmic scale. Without computers. So, yeah. The machine gun, mustard gas, right, let's right, start there, right. right? And then, you know, like you measure the good against, we have alpha fold and we can design proteins that might be able to cure cancer. And there's a lot of important stuff that comes along for the ride, the yin and yang, as it were. Well, yeah, I'm glad exactly. nobody thinks I'm a thought leader that I have to solve this, but it, it is a monumental challenge. Maybe the machines will be employed to prevent the machines from being, you know, bad. <laughs> yeah. That, that Now that becomes a very interesting place because then you have to teach a machine empathy because it has to value a human. You hit something that's really unique in, in a thought pattern because that's not As a typical. Model. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly uh, it. Good. We're all back around to the beginning of uh, sci-fi writing again. <laughs> it all comes true 30 years later. That's all. <laughs> so before we run out of time, I would love to get, you know, like lessons learned. This has been quite a journey for you and there are founders now jumping on wow like it's a great time to start a startup and it was and you know it kind of always is to me it's anytime it's a good time to start a startup but i'm that guy like what could you encapsulate the just some takeaway or, or learning from your experience that the the audience could use yeah so i'll go to the good the bad and the ugly so the good part is you are right you have more potential as an individual to do multiple things to get real benefit from you creating a startup, from you doing something a little differently, from thinking differently. You have to take on the full approach of saying, let's fail, let's fail fast and go to the next thing. You can't dwell on the issues and items. The potential is massive. We have just like the potential to harm a lot of people, the potential to really help a lot of people is phenomenal. The mental anguish, this goes into the good, the bad, right? The mental anguish that you have to endure you live this every day on every single call. So imagine being with your spouse on the worst day and your spouse on the best day and realizing the difference was you ate lunch. It's not an easy thing to do. If it was easy, 
everyone would be doing it. There are certain things you need to do to set up the company correctly. There are certain things you need to do to set up the employers correctly, the employees correctly. You need to set up the company, the product, the service, the personas, who you're going after. It goes back to the old basic, what's your business model, right? No one writes business plans anymore, which is hilarious. It's all PowerPoint decks. But in reality, once you get past that, it's that's when the rubber hits the road and you've got to actually do it. And you have to be ready for that mental anguish of, holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing. And you have to be willing to openly say to somebody, David, I need help. I don't know what to do. And you've got to be ready to be bold, but you have to be ready to be steadfast and you got to be vulnerable. It's not easy. I'm going to tell you, there's times I get off of a phone call. I'm like, yes, we're in the or on the same phone call. Yes. The guy calls me, says, hey, we love what you're doing. We want to put you into our development plan. You're jumping up and down. You're, And then he goes, but bad news is it's not till next quarter next year. or next year at the end of the year. You're like, oh my, why'd you call me then? Right? So now you do. Well, it's going to be right after I leave so that you'll have to deal with my predecessor who doesn't care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the other side is know your market. So this is the biggest learning that I came through, which was we're a B2B to C provider. So we're doing business with insurance companies, with the larger firms, the broker dealers, wealth management firms. But that enterprise is a long sales process. Our longest took us two years to get to do a proof of concept. Our shortest was because we went through an accelerator with the company and that was eight and a half months. If you're not prepared, if you don't have the financial capability to stay that long, then I don't recommend doing it. If you don't have the EQ, the IQ is great. You need the EQ to be a rock, a ship that's going to weather all storms. Those are some of the biggest things that I think you have to prepare yourself for to doing it, to being an entrepreneur and, and running a startup. Yeah, I resonate with that. And one thing that I know most of us, I didn't have, and I experienced a lot of founders not having on their first go is mentors exist for a reason. And if you can't take all the advice, but <laughs> try to take advice and draw inferences from the unanimous feedback of actually this business sucks and you shouldn't do it. And that's where if I, I can remember distinct conversations that in retrospect, not following the advice cost me some millions of dollars. And, and I think that's just, this is real. I also recognize someone's almost like the founder rite of passage of ignoring advice and potentially being right. So uh. <laughs> I love what you just said, because it's Intelligence is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. But experience tells us as people, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Did And God gave us that. Did we listen or did we speak? Because when most people say they want help and they want your opinion, they just want confirmation of what they've done. They just want validation that's for it. my bad idea. That's it. And I got to tell have you, been some of the best people turn to that, me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, so it's, I spent four years on the dark side for, but no, the best advice was a buddy of mine saying, that's a load of crap. I don't, that doesn't mean, right. what are you talking about? And thank you for that word valid because I started pitch. Yeah, exactly. It was. So I, my hat's off to everybody who wants to be an, an entrepreneur, but, and I always volunteer. I tell people, if you ever want to just call and one thing I did say, which was, which really helped me, David. When I got to the point where I'd say, David, I need to vent. I need you yeah. to just listen. 
because as people and as what I would consider men, we want to go mm-hmm. fix things, but it's, it's inherent in my nature. So if you don't tell me that ahead of time, I'm going to try to fix it. I'm going to try to fix right. it, but you have to tell me, dude, I just need, I just, I need to vent. I need you to listen. Great. Right. I'm here. I'll grab a beer or grab some wine. Do you We're want sit advice down. or do you just want me to listen to your rant? You know, that's what it is. That's you also just described marriage. So that's yes. well done. That's what I would say. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Fair enough. Rob, it's so fun. I, I love it. I just I think your attitude is a blessing and it's awesome to, to get these insights and you are an infallible optimist and that's just, it's rare and special and we should all embrace more of that. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Really, really appreciate it. Anybody who is resonating and wants to reach out, wants to, I hope, buy things from you. How do they do that? First of all, thank you for the, the kind words and to the audience out there, I guess my check right. cleared. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, all, all, all kidding aside, feel free to reach out. You can reach me at rob at intergendata.com. Even on our website, we allow you to, we put our cell phone number. So 917-680-8702. That's bold, yeah, man. That's bold. I do it because we're here to help. We're here. And the only way to know is to help us understand we need to disqualify ourselves from an opportunity just as fast as you do. So we want to do that. Any way we can help, we'd love to, to sit down and chat. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming out. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. I appreciate the time, David. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.